In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, and we're in chapter 15 of St. Matthew's Gospel. We're starting uh, kind of in the middle of the chapter a little bit, and we find Jesus uh, going to the coast, to Tyre and Sidon. You'll remember that the last few chapters have seen him in the region of Galilee, along the Sea of Galilee. And you'll remember that it's along the shores of the sea there that he feeds the 5,000. And you remember that he crosses and walks on the water with the disciples. And after he goes across to the other side and meets the disciples, at the beginning of chapter 15, Pharisees come, uh, this uh, political sect or um, uh, political group, if you will, uh, come up from Jerusalem in order to try to trap Jesus and to argue with him. And we see them doing this over and over again. And so they're questioning Jesus and arguing with him. And he leaves them. He goes away from them in order to go to the coast, to go to Tyre and Sidon. So part of his going to Tyre and Sidon is in response to the Pharisees, if you will, in a way saying, you're not participating in the kingdom of God, I'm going to go away. And he goes really to the kind of the farthest edge of the historic boundaries of ancient Israel. Uh, Tyre and Sidon are there on the northwest coast of uh, ancient Israel. They're on the Mediterranean Sea on the coast there. And this is the very edge of the border of ancient Israel, that very northwestern edge. And uh, it was only held for a brief period of time by uh, the nation of Israel. It very quickly comes under uh, the Assyrians and gets taken over by them. And uh, by this time now it's being held by the Greeks and then by the Romans. And it's really a thoroughly pagan city. And so uh, it's inhabited by Phoenicians and Canaanites. And so when uh, Jesus gets there, he uh, encounters this uh, Gentile woman. This Canaanite woman who has uh, no uh, history with or membership in the ancient nation of Israel. And so when he goes there, it's shocking that uh, in this foreign city with this foreign woman, uh, she is proclaiming him in a way uh, that the Pharisees could never imagine or do. Uh, In the way that they reject him, she recognizes him. She does two things immediately. She calls him Lord. Right, which is uh, very close to calling him God. It's a, a deep uh, reverence word, right, to call him Lord. And then she recognizes him as Messiah. She says, uh, Son of David. And Son of David is a title of the Messiah. So she knows who David is. She knows who the Messiah is. She knows what it is that he is coming into, who the Messiah is. And that's incredible, really, that this Canaanite woman, this pagan woman, uh, would recognize Jesus as being the Messiah. So she's gone far above what we've seen um, anybody else do in the nation of Israel. And then Jesus does not respond to her. In fact, the disciples are the first ones to respond, but their response is really, you know, heal the daughter so that we can get rid of her, right? Uh, We're tired of her. She's bothering us. Just heal the daughter and go away. Uh, You have to look carefully to notice that uh, they are asking him to heal the daughter because Jesus' response is, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's understanding that they're asking uh, him to heal her. And so he rejects this. He says, no, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And then the woman, not responding to the disciples, but to Jesus directly, again, uh, goes before him and she worships him, right? She kneels before him. She's now put herself in a place of subjection. She said, uh, Lord, please help me, right? And notice that she's asking for help for herself, which is very important. 
And then he answers her by insulting her. This is like the worst insult that you could give anyone in the ancient world. When we read this, we ought to be shocked that this word comes out of Jesus' mouth. He calls her a dog. Calling somebody a dog in the ancient world is the worst thing that you can call them. It's hard for us to understand because uh, we are uh, part of that people group, uh, American culture with the Franks and those uh, middle Europeans that brought dogs into their household. This is an insult to anybody in the Near East to even think that you would bring a dog into a house. Uh, Dogs in the ancient Near East are the bottom feeders. Dogs will eat anything, right? Dogs eat dead things. Right? So these are the uncleanest kind of animals. If you look at what's a clean animal and what's an unclean animal in Scripture, clean animals are ones that only eat, what, grains, right? Like the cows and the sheep and the goats, right? They eat grains. The unclean animals are the ones that eat dead things, that find dead stuff along the road and eat it. That's what dogs do. They eat their own vomit. This is, a, this is an animal that is considered the lowest of the low. So this is worse than calling her a cow or a sheep or a bird. This is the absolute lowest kind of insult. And how does she respond? How do we respond when somebody insults us like that, right? The natural inclination that we have when somebody insults them is to insult them back, right? Give as good as we got. We put our chests out, we put our chins up, and we say, yeah, right back at you, right? How does she respond when Jesus gives her this worst of all insults? She says, yes. She says, yes, yeah, I'm a dog. But even dogs get crumbs. Even dogs get crumbs. So she accepts the insult that he gives her, and then she lowers herself even further, and she says, as a dog, I'm just asking for a crumb from the table of the children. That is the nation of Israel. And Jesus says, you have faith. See, the Canaanite woman has understood what Jesus was teaching us in chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. She's understood it and she's participating in it. And we don't have a better example yet in Matthew's Gospel of what it means to have poverty of spirit, right? Jesus says those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven are poor in spirit. What does that mean? To be poor in spirit means to say, I don't have anything, I've got no claims. I'd have got, I don't have any way to say there's anything that I deserve. To be poor in spirit is to say, I don't have anything, I don't deserve anything. She's done that beautifully, right? She said, yes, I don't deserve the healing that I'm asking for, the miracle that I'm asking for. To be meek. To be meek means when somebody insults us and comes after us like that, we don't go back at them, we don't try to get revenge on them, we simply say, you're insulting me. That's what it means to be meek. When somebody calls us a name, we say, you're calling me a name. We simply recognize it. We don't try to give it back. And so she's lived meekly, perfectly. And then we read that we're supposed to mourn. And that's exactly what she's doing and how it is that she's able to ask for this healing for her daughter by saying, do this for me. Because she is recognizing the pain and the suffering of her daughter and she's calling it her own. It sounds like she's asking for the miracle for herself because she's so compassionate and mourning the suffering of her daughter. And so she's fulfilled perfectly the three basic foundations of the Christian life. And the Canaanite woman is saying to Jesus, 
I am claiming the promise that you made in antiquity. See, God promised from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, that our place was in paradise with Him. And He says it again in the story of Noah. He says it again in the promise of Abraham. And He says it again here in Isaiah, 700 years before the time of Christ. The prophet Isaiah says what? He says, to the foreigner and to the eunuch, right? And the eunuch has no claim, would be an outcast in Jewish society. Right, because of the importance of bearing children. He's saying for foreigners, for outcasts, you can come into my kingdom, you can come into my house of prayer, I will bring you in when you do what I do, when you live the way that I live. So this is the Lord saying, here's how I live. If you want to be in my house, these are the rules of my house, right? This is starting to sound like a parent, doesn't it? A parent that says, if you want to live in my house, these are the rules. These are the rules of God. Keep justice. Do righteousness. Choose things that please me. Right? He says later, um, to love the name of the Lord, to minister to Him, to be His servants, to keep the Sabbath, to hold fast my covenant, to be a people of prayer. So he's saying, these are my qualities. This is what it means to live in my house. And it doesn't matter who your dad is. It doesn't matter who your mom is. It doesn't matter who your grandparents are. If you live the way I live, you're welcomed into my house. You're welcomed into my kingdom. And this is exactly what the Canaanite woman promises. And then St. Paul says it even more clearly, right? St. Paul is saying there are Jews who have been cut away from the tree. He makes this beautiful parable of the, the nation of Israel from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob growing up they've been pruned they've been cultivated if you've ever been in in an ancient forest or an ancient uh, orchard where these trees have been pruned over and over again they get this beautiful shape to them and he's saying that the nation of israel has been pruned into this beautiful shape and then there's some branches that have been had to have been cut off he's not saying all jews have been cut off he's not saying all israel has been cut off he himself is claiming his membership in the house of God as a Jew. We see 3,000 Jews, right, come and accept Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So there are clearly Jews that believe and that come in. But St. Paul is saying clearly, if they reject God, right, if they reject Him, they'll be cut off. Right? He says they'll be cut off. The natural branches will not be spared. And he says that we as Gentiles will be grafted into the family of God, will be brought in through that promise, and will be made a part of that tree. If, he says, provided, it's legal language, right? This is a contract. This is written by a lawyer. God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. See, he's saying that if you want to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be a member of the kingdom of heaven, if you want to come in and be a citizen, you have to practice kindness. This is how this kingdom works. This is how God lives. If you want to live with God, you have to be kind with God. And he says, once you're a member of that household, like this Canaanite woman is coming into the household of God, he says, don't then become proud. And this is what happens to us, don't, doesn't it? We start to think, well... Once I've done this, I'm great. I've been baptized. I'm just wonderful. I can do whatever I want. I can be whoever I want. And there are churches that teach this, right? There are churches that teach once you've been baptized, once you've been grafted in, 
then everything's done. St. Paul is saying very clearly that's not the case. He says, otherwise, you too will be cut off. One day you too will be cut off if you don't live in God's kindness. He's saying you have to learn to live in the kingdom. And don't let the arrogance that's allowed the Jews to be cut off, to allow you to be cut off. Why does he let this woman suffer like this? Why does he insult this Canaanite woman? Why does he allow her daughter to suffer with this demon for so long? He allows suffering so that we'll get to the place where we say, that's it. I can't do it myself. I tried. I tried to do it my way. I tried to do it by myself. I can't do it. And that's where the Lord says, great. You finally recognized it. You can't do it by yourself. I'm going to do it for you. Not because of who you are. Not because of some great thing you've done. But because of my love for you. And notice that this Canaanite woman, she's not saying, heal my daughter. Do you notice what she says? She says, Lord, help me. Help me. She is so in love with her daughter. She is so compassionate towards her daughter that she's saying, help me. Because when you help my daughter, you help me. We're one. And you know the greatest miracles that happen in Scripture are because of a parent's cry for help? Have you noticed that over and over again? The greatest miracles, the, the raising from the dead and the healing of Jairus' daughter and the St. Churian's servant, they're all parents who call for their children to be healed out of compassion and out of love. The Lord's going to let us suffer just enough so that we finally come to the ends of ourselves and so that we would come before Him and kneel and that we would mourn with poverty of spirit and that we would beg for healing out of our love and compassion for those that the Lord has given us. And when we do, He will be faithful. And He will graft us into His house and He will bring us onto His mountain and we will be His people of prayer.